this episode 83 of the Follow You Anywhere podcast, and we're back. And Cam, I'm back from the Southern Baptist Convention. Woohoo! Yes, sir. Well, you missed out on quite a convention this year. Not as crazy as last year. It actually, so we're going to talk a little bit about it, obviously, uh, but it, it's actually it's actually encouraging to me. Like, I really felt like this year was going to be really, really bad, like a lot worse than last year. And yeah. yet last year was pretty bad. But I felt like overall things went really well. I, I was really... I was really encouraged when I left. However, that was not the case with a lot of people, evidently, because I posted something on Twitter trying to be positive and uplifting and encouraging, and man, I got shredded. And that came at an interesting time. I don't know if our listeners heard that or not, but <laughs> kind of went. In, it was kind of in line with what I was talking about. That's uh, kind of how it felt whenever I posted my tweet. Here's what I said, Cam. Tell me if this is controversial or divisive or hateful or confrontational. Um, if you would expect that this would have gotten the the scrutiny that it got, I just said, thank you, Southern Baptist. Yep. We did not. (laughs) That's it. That's terrible. What a terrible post. Uh, We did not compromise our convictions. We did not cater to our culture. We conducted orderly business. We showed respect for one another. We balanced truth and love. We operated with grace. I left challenged and encouraged. Also, I just realized that I uh, left the period out on we conducted orderly business, but nobody commented on that. I mean, what do you think about that? Sounds pretty pretty plain. Pretty, pretty plain. Pretty white breadish. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, but that's not how it was received. I got somebody that commented and said, you are probably the only person who is proud of direction of the SBC. I think they meant the direction of the SBC, but um, I'm just assuming that's what they meant. But they said proud of direction. Uh, I know that's not the case because, I mean, there's 16 people that liked the tweet, so at least 16 others agreed with me that it wasn't terrible. Uh, So I just said I don't believe that is true. But then, well, you responded to it. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I try to I try to respond to people that are engaging in my thoughts. Uh, but then it got pretty rough. You call that respect with all capital letters? Women are a hundred percent equal to men and can lead and preach, often much better than any men. I just responded, yes, equal value and worth, but different roles in both the family and the church. God's design according to Scripture. Um, and then I uh, had another one that said, 
We felt like we were kicked in the mouth by a schoolyard bully trying to silence us using fear tactics. We felt disrespected. We felt unseen. We felt the animosity and disdain from a boys club who made darn sure that women would never have a voice. Glad it worked out for you. It's like, dang, you got that from the what I said? Because I didn't really address any of the issues. I was just saying I, I left feeling encouraged because like I was telling you, I, I feel like it went a lot better than what I was expecting it to. And the way we treated one another, I felt like was much better than last year. And so I was just trying to you know, encourage others with uh, some, some good news that came from the convention. So uh, all of that is really about the whole issue with Saddleback and women in ministry and, and the role of a, a man and the role of a woman. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that, but then use that as a, a platform to kind of launch into a discussion about how do you follow God uh, in your conversations with, with others when you have strong convictions that are different than theirs? And, and what does it look like to balance the, the truth and the love that we're supposed to, to balance? So I know you said you're, you haven't really been following everything. So talk to me. What, what are you aware of? What have you read at this point? other than the, the comments that I just read to you about my tweet. Uh, what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Have you had any conversations with anybody uh, about what happened at the convention? I haven't had a lot of conversations uh, about it because we have been um, in the throes of getting ready for VBS and... Um, getting ready for camp and all of those types of things. So I've been doing a lot of building and a lot of putting together stuff. So I knew it was happening. Obviously, you guys were there. I knew that was going on. I kept up with very briefly uh, a couple of Twitter accounts that I follow that would give updates. I, uh, I followed the actual SBC Twitter Thing, talking about what was happening, mm-hmm. and then I just got tired of reading it uh, <laughs> because they make me laugh. Uh, I don't know if it's my uh, rebellious side that thinks that we're just a bunch of goobers that make things uh, <laughs> make things like way more complicated than they have to be. Yeah, uh, because when they were like. Mr. Johnson so-and-so is getting ready to speak on the committee on committees. I was like, we have committees for committees? I'm done. I'm done. And then up next is the committee on nominations. And I was like, this, um, I'm at, uh, I can't keep reading this. Um, so um, I'm just waiting on the committee that's monitoring the, the Twitter feed, uh, the committee of committee of Twitter monitoring. And then maybe we'll talk about that one. But um the social media so, committee of order of business with interactions among one another's committees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, um, and we, and at some point, I'd probably be like the third vice chair to the secretary of state under the umbrella of 
Saddam Hussein. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, they. Well, I almost don't do the, that. That'd be bad. <laughs> I almost knocked the computer off. Uh, also, I don't think Saddam Hussein is in the Southern Baptist uh, Convention or has ever been in the Southern Baptist Convention. One, well, he's definitely he's not dead. now. <laughs> yeah, but I just meant his, you know, his namesake. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, I'm just making a joke in the sense of we have all these different positional names and stuff. So after wading through all of that jargon, and, yeah, yeah. you know, I was like trying to figure out things that are going on. And saw just the highlights, you know, most of the people that I have a similar belief in or kind of know what they think and think that I agree with them probably um, were happy with the person that was elected president versus the CBN guy. Um, And so I saw that. Mm -hmm. Was he already serving as president? Yeah, he was already the president this year. Was he the president for the full year, or is he the guy that came in and replaced after the other one stepped down? Is that how that happened? No, the other one finished out his term. Oh, okay. I I, didn't know. Yeah. Okay. He just stepped down from serving for an additional year. So Bart Barber, the reelected current president of the SBC, stepped in when Ed Litton stepped down and chose not to run for a second year. Okay, gotcha. So um, so I saw that and was like, okay, I know nothing about this guy. So I had no whoopee or you know, happy one way or the other other than the fact that everyone was saying that he was going to be better than the CBN guy. And for what I know about the CBN, I was like, yeah, that's probably true. So... He got he got elected, and I was like, cool. And then um, waded through the committees and committees and the messengers and that whole deal and saw the Saddleback situation um, but didn't really see all the details. Like, I just saw the, the comments and everyone's opinion back and forth on that kind of stuff. Yeah, what were you seeing? What, what were you uh, – uh, what was the trend – well, for me, on the outside looking in, it didn't seem. It's hard to say because just it it, it very easy can paint a picture that's not necessarily true. But mm-hmm. to me, one thing that I was disappointed by the fact was is that all the comments that I were reading about people that were in disagreement with the Saddleback situation, there was no love there. Mm. There was no love in the disagreement. It yeah. was basically like, get a load of this guy. And they basically talked about his arrogance and, you know, just like the way he was carrying himself and the conversations that he was having. And um, and so the things that they were saying definitely weren't sprinkled with love in them. Sure. Um, so let's listen to it, okay, because I know you haven't heard the whole thing, and I'm yeah. sure some of our listeners haven't heard it. So so what we're going to do is we're just going to listen to what Cam is referring to. This is Rick Warren. I mean, he's not here with us, but this is us playing a clip from Rick Warren at the Southern Baptist Convention. 78 years. The SBC has been a blend of at least a dozen different tribes of Baptists. If you think every Baptist thinks like you, you're mistaken. What we share in common is a mutual commitment to the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word and to the great commission of Jesus Christ. 
No one is asking any Southern Baptist to change their theology. I'm not asking you to agree with my church. I am asking you to act like a Southern Baptist who have historically agreed to disagree on dozens of doctrines in order to share a common mission. Since Southern Baptists have always allowed disagreement on doctrines, of, including the essential doctrines of salvation, why should this one issue cancel our fellowship? In 2013, when the Calvinists were under fire, Baptists agreed to disagree and the split was averted. Now, 10 years later, will we treat egalitarian Baptists with the same grace we showed the Calvinist? We should remove churches for all kinds of sexual sin, racial sin, financial sin, leadership sin, sins that harm the testimony of our convention. But the 1,928 churches with women on pastoral staff have not sinned. If doctrinal disagreements between Baptists are considered sin, we all get kicked out. You'll never get 100% of Baptists to agree 100% on 100% of doctrine. That's why our Constitution says that churches must closely identify, not completely identify, with our confession. Now, the Baptist faith and message is 4,032 words. Saddleback disagrees with one word. That's 99.9999999999 in agreement. Isn't that close enough? Al Mohler, who for some reason gets to speak twice and do the rebuttals, claims the phrase, the office of the pastor is limited to men, that that also includes every staff position too, and somehow it also prevents any woman from teaching. But I was able to contact about half over half of the original drafting committee of the Baptist Faith Message 2000, and seven of them told me Al was wrong. In fact, before the vote on the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, even Al in his hometown newspaper said it didn't limit women from being assistant pastors. Go read it in the Courier Journal. If this precedent is set, Southern Seminary will have to change the name of the Billy Graham School since Billy Graham trained women pastors at our global training events and he endorsed the preaching ministry of his daughter saying Anne is the best preacher in, in the Graham family. Vote no. If this precedent is set, we'll have to rename our two... So... Everybody gets three minutes, and so he ran out of time, which is why it cut off at the end. But basically, you heard his argument of why he felt like they should be let back into the Southern Baptist Convention. And essentially, the argument was we've disagreed on a lot of things in the past that uh, we don't have to agree with everything that you're never going to get 100% of Baptists to agree on 100% of everything, in which we would both say, Cam, we would both say, amen, right? I'm sorry. Yeah. Say, say you're, you're, <laughs> the, the comment that he made about you're never going to get 100% of Baptists to agree on 100% oh. of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, yeah. So we would agree with that. Um, and basically they agree on 99.99999% which mathematically was not accurate but anyway his argument was we're we're in agreement on pretty much everything except for this one issue 
Uh, so that was kind of the 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 debate um, from his side, and that that was the argument that he made. Now you could probably see, based on your comments, again, um, I think we would both agree. I know we would both agree that you've got to act in lo- love towards one another, um, but you can see the the comments that you mentioned as far as the perspective of coming across prideful or arrogant or whatever that description was, because it did kind of have a political feel to it in the sense that he wasn't just talking about why he believed that they should be let back in from a biblical perspective. He began to speak specifically to the one that he knew was getting ready to come back with with his argument as a representative of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so you can see how that kind of had a political feel. It wasn't so much, this is why we believe what we believe and we're uh, confident in, in standing upon our conviction but it kind of went into almost like a presidential debate where it wasn't outright slander, but you start pointing out the flaws in the other person versus just sticking to why you believe what you believe. Yeah. I mean, did you pick up on that toward the end when he started uh, attacking Al Mohler in a sense, like trying to sow seeds of doubt towards Al Mohler? Yeah, I mean, I can hear that, but I also think that he's probably true. He's probably right. Yeah. You know, how so? I mean, if if he really said those things, yeah. you know, um, I don't think that that's necessarily wrong for him to bring up, you know. I think that there's always been a divide and a division and a, um, a disagreement on exactly what that scripture means mm-hmm. to, to some degree. I guarantee you there are people in our church that don't agree how I view it, you know, and, sure. how, and, and probably how you view it, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not a, it, it's not a good situation, um, but I just, I, I don't know. Um, part, of, part of me, part of me just feels like if I was in his position, I wouldn't want to be a part of the SBC. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people are saying. Like these churches that don't align with what the SBC statement of faith says and the way they've been treated, I I wouldn't say by the SBC uh, because the president made it very clear that you know, one of the statements that he made before the announcement was ever made on the way the vote turned out was, we don't celebrate divorce in our church. Uh, in other words, if someone is disfellowshipped, there's a, there is a breakup that's happening, so to speak. That's not something we celebrate. We pray for, if we believe that they're uh, not in line with God's word and they're sinning against God, we pray for repentance and restoration. Like we're not celebrating the fact that they're getting the boot, which is the attitude that some have had. Yeah. Um, and, and so he set the tone very, very early in that. And he said, we act like Christians. Like we should, we should be sad if we believe that they are sinning against God and they are refusing to, 
to repent and and do things the way Scripture says they should do them, we shouldn't be excited about that. We should be sad about that, and we should pray uh, that that they have a change of heart. But having said that, there are some that have been very aggressive, very condescending, very hateful that are a part of the SBC. And so that's what some people are saying. It's like, you don't agree with our statement of faith and you're being treated like this. Why would you want to stay? Like, why would you want to be a part of it? Um, Because you don't agree with what the Baptist faith, the message says. And it's not like people are really being very encouraging to you. Um, And so why? Uh, why, why would you want to, to fight that? Um, now, I want us to listen to the response and, and then talk a little bit uh, about that as well. And, you know, there's really three, there, there's really three responses that come to mind when I think about how people are viewing this whole situation. And we'll get to that. But before we do that, let's listen to... Uh, Let's listen to Al Mohler's response. Thank you, Mr. President. As the chairman of the executive committee, I would like to again recognize Dr. Albert Moeller as the representative of the executive committee to respond to the appeal. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just want to say that my position was there misrepresented, but nonetheless, it is important to state for the record that Albert Moeller does not say what the Baptist faith and message means. The Southern Baptist Convention says what the Baptist faith and message means and is quite competent to accomplish that task. In the year 2000, the words, the office of pastor is limited to men is called qualified by scripture was inserted because 30 years ago this issue threatened to tear this denomination apart the definition of friendly cooperation came down to the fact that that was an issue that would endanger the cooperative cohesion and faithfulness of the church of the southern baptist convention and in particular we look to this issue because Southern Baptists decided this is not just a matter of church polity. It is not just a matter of hermeneutics. It's a matter of biblical commitment, a commitment to the scripture that unequivocally, we believe, limits the office of pastor to men. It is an issue of biblical authority. It is one that has actually led to the unity of the Southern Baptist Convention as Southern Baptists have gone forward with an issue of clarity here, which has greatly made our doctrine and order a matter of unity and harmony. It is the unity and harmony of the Southern Baptist Convention that is now at stake. And we're in an unusual situation. Once again, this is not a convention responsibility to offer a comprehensive verdict on the ministry of Rick Warren or Saddleback Community Church. We can thank God for every good gospel thing that is represented by that church and its ministry. It is a question about the Southern Baptist Convention and what it means for a church to be in friendly cooperation in doctrine and in order with this convention. And here we face the unusual situation in which Dr. Warren himself has made repeated statements and the church has taken repeated actions that make very clear that it 
rejects the confessional understanding of the Southern Baptist Convention on this issue. This isn't a question of misunderstanding. The Credentials Committee and the Executive Committee took action based upon the actions of Saddleback Community Church in establishing a woman as a campus pastor and having women with the title of pastor to teach in the teaching role on Sunday morning and then Pastor Warren going on to say more expansively that the church basically and he endorses and calls for a more comprehensive egalitarianism. I'm confident that's not where the Southern Baptist Convention is going to go. I believe that it is a statement without rancor and without personal attack, without making a comprehensive verdict on a congregation that is no longer among us, we simply say that our credentials committee and executive committee have done the right thing. We need to do that. So that was Al Mohler's response on behalf of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. And basically he said, we're going to stand on the decision that we made. And the reason that this is a bigger issue than just biblical hermeneutics or interpretation is that we believe that this is about either believing the Bible in its fullness or not. So that was that was his argument. Now, I know the difference of interpretation that you're talking about in the uh, the the Timothy passage of scripture, is, you know, how does that look practically in the church? And if we believe that contextually that this is not just this is not just meant for the church of Corinth when this was written, um, or I'm sorry, yeah, the, the, the church during that day and age when it was written uh, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, um, but it is a universal principle then how does that apply to the church today? Because the church today looks different than it did back then. And that's when you get into all the discussions about, uh, you know, a woman teaching in a group of men, but being under the authority of the pastor or, uh, you know, the difference between a facilitator and a teacher, a woman preaching on Sunday morning under the authority of the pastor, a woman being in a leadership position over men, but ultimately under the authority of the pastor, uh, all of those different situations and scenarios that are going on in Baptist churches all around the world, uh, along with female missionaries that are preaching and teaching the gospel all around the world as Southern Baptist missionaries where you draw the line and and what that looks like practically within the life of the 21st century church, I think there is a lot of variables involved in that, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the woman being the pastor of the church, as in, in in a church with multiple leadership positions, the woman being the senior pastor of the church. We believe that uh, no matter what the interpretation is in regard to the role of women in the church, you can't be the husband of one wife and be a woman. Um, and, And that's kind of what we're talking about 
in these situations. Now, there was another amendment and in, in several discussions that took place that have also caused a lot of controversy uh, about, you know, how far do you want to take that? Because we're not trying to beat up on women. And some people think we're beating up on women, being chauvinistic, all of those things. And that's where, Cam, when you talk about the difference of opinions and, you know, different people interpreting the the scripture differently in that regard, we're probably all over the, the map. And uh, so we've got to to be careful not to draw lines in the sand where scripture doesn't draw lines in the sand. Yeah. But this, this was not an issue with just having a woman with the title of pastor, like a, a woman's ministry, a women's ministry pastor or a student pastor, a worship pastor that could still be seen as being under the authority of the pastor. This was in these situations. And there were only two, it was Saddleback and another church uh, these were women that were the lead pastor of the church. And that that is the difference in these situations versus all the other ones that I think there's still a lot of things that, that need to be worked out in regards to what we believe is Southern Baptist and how that lines up with the 21st century church. So this is also uh, one of the tweets I was reading was talking about the new Baptist faith and message that's going to have to be signed by all Baptist like employees and stuff like that. Is that happening? Is that real? Like what what is that? So according to the bylaws, my understanding is it's going to have to be voted on and approved with a two thirds vote again next meeting and so it's got to be done two meetings in a row for it to take effect but then once it takes effect then yes that's got to be agreed to uh and and you're referring to i think the mike law amendment and and that's where it gets really complex and i think that's really where we've got to We've got to figure some things out as a convention because the Mike Law Amendment says that um, basically what it, what it says is that we will not affirm. I can't remember the exact language, but basically we will not hire, affirm, or employ a female pastor of any kind. And, and so then the question becomes: Okay, what? What exactly does that mean? Um, and, and are we talking about pastor in title, but not pastor in role? And the difference between the role of a pastor and the title of a pastor, the office of a pastor and the function of a pastor. And, and that's where I think there's a lot of confusion within the Southern Baptist Convention because, like, you know, we don't call any of our female ministry leaders, pastors, but like Lauren, my wife, is our women's ministry leader, and she is functioning as a pastor to women. Like she is shepherding women, but we don't call her a pastor because we believe that a pastor has to be the husband of one wife, and obviously she's not. She's the wife of one husband. Um, and we do believe that the men have been called to be the spiritual leader of the home, and we believe all that's biblical. And, and so we're trying to 
honor Scripture in that regard. But when you study Scripture, there's really two offices, and that's where this whole discussion and debate, what it really all boils down to, is there are two offices. There is the office of pastor, elder, bishop, one office, and the the office of deacon. Those are the two positions in the church. And so all of these other positions we create, like student pastor, next-gen pastor, worship pastor, those are not outlined in the Scripture. Because when it talks about bishop, elder, pastor, it's referring to, in the context of a local church, what we would call, in today's day and age, the senior pastor. That's what it's describing. But in function, the next-gen pastor the worship pastor, the student pastor, the senior adult pastor, they are all functioning as pastors. And we expect them to meet the qualifications of a pastor because they are a type of pastor. They're pastoring students. They're pastoring the next generation. They're, they're leading and shepherding the congregation through worship. But none of those pastoral positions are really outlined in Scripture. And so that's the rub. That's the tension. That's where the confusion comes from. Because if those really aren't what's being referenced, then is there danger in calling a woman a pastor if you're not trying to put her in that senior pastor position? Now, those that say there is, I think it's heavily influenced by what's going on in our culture and our society. I don't believe this would be near as big of an issue today if we weren't dealing with all of the transgender issues and, you know, sexual identity issues and men becoming women and women becoming men. And, you know, all of these distinctions and these lines are being blurred. And so I think that's really elevated this issue to be much more critical than it would be if we weren't dealing with all of these other things. Because I think the people that are are really strongly against even using the title of pastor are that way because they're afraid this could be, and I hate to call it a gateway decision, but that's kind of the best terminology that comes to mind when I think about kind of the trajectory of where we could potentially go if we start calling our women pastors. Um, I think that's what they're thinking is that, you know, when you look at the church 50 years from now, if you say, okay, we're going to compromise in this, even though we don't believe that a woman should be the senior pastor, we're going to say, uh, this is not a non-negotiable, and even though we believe the Bible's clear, a man's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home, a uh, pastor has to be the husband of one wife, because we have different positions and, and titles and roles that serve in a pastoral way, but are not the senior pastor, we're going to let them be ordained and called pastor. Then the next step is now that they're already ordained as a pastor, they could potentially serve as a lead pastor, and there's no differentiating between them as a support pastor and a lead pastor, because they've already been ordained as a pastor. And then 
now that we have broken down that barrier and we've crossed that line, then what is keeping us from now, uh, along with the the Methodist church saying, okay, we misunderstood the role of women in the church, and so maybe we misunderstood what it means to be a homosexual, and and we missed it, and that's really not what Paul was talking about, because we obviously now feel like we were wrong in what Paul was talking about with not permitting a woman to teach or have authority over a man, and so let's reevaluate that, and it's just that that slippery slope, which is exactly what happened in the Methodist church. And so it makes sense to, to have that concern. Um, but I think that if everything else going on right now in our culture wasn't going on, then there wouldn't be such a high level of alert. It's kind of like when everything happened with 9-11, you know, the, the terror alert went way up because of what the – the country was experiencing. Yeah. Didn't mean that we weren't concerned with safety and security before that, but the concern went way up because of what was going on in the country. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is that I think a lot of times these conversations turn into not complete waste of times, but a large majority of it is a waste of time because it's a word. Um, in a lot of cases, I, I would argue that most people, and, and I'm pretty sure the basic definition of pastor and minister are some, like they, they go back and forth. Uh, it, like a, a pastor is one who ministers and minister is one who pastors. Like, um, cause I've worked for churches that called their women ministers. Um, and the thing that just drives me crazy about it is, is, we're quick and happy to allow women to serve in a role with just a slightly different title, even to your own admission. You know, Lauren serves as a pastor on staff, so to speak, as, as to, to women um, in, in her role and what she does could be argued that that is a pastoral role. Sure. Yep. We just don't give that title. And I understand what you just said about this, the reason why and the snowball effect but it's like, man, I don't care. Like, if if it means, like, let's just get over it, basically. And, mm-hmm. like, it, let's just call them leaders or whatever. But at the same time, like, I think that that's also potentially the job of the church, especially if we say we can have a women's pastor, um, a women's ministry pastor or, you know, whatever, and teach on why that's okay in the sense of, not being the lead pastor, you know, and still serving in these pastoral roles. Because my question is, is like we get so caught up on these things, but we give them the same roles and privileges that they would have if the title was different because we're still not letting them lead the church, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's been always my biggest hiccup and like frustration with it is, man, the amount of money that we spend on going to these conferences and putting these conferences on and having these round and round and round conversations that ultimately, in my opinion, aren't going to change the course of people's salvations drive me crazy. Yeah. Um, And I don't like... But you would agree, even though you feel like this is not a hill to die on, so to speak, um, you would agree... 
that understanding the Bible as the Word of God and not compromising the Word of God, you would agree that is a hill to die on. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the issue when it comes to not talking about the title thing. Right. That's different. But when it comes to the, the, the saddleback, saddleback and the, the, the other church, uh, Fern Creek, I think it was, that's the issue there is it's not, it's not just linguistics. Yeah. Uh, it is Practice. an issue of biblical authority. Right. And you can't just say, I don't like it, uh, and it's not practical if God's word is clear on it. And, and I think that you've got to be dogmatic where Scripture's clear, but you shouldn't be dogmatic where Scripture's not. And I think Scripture's clear on the office of the pastor of the church. I think there are some interpretive challenges when it comes to what does it mean when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over men. That And, and those are two different issues. Well, so like my thing is, so like hypothetically, say I left the church mm-hmm. and you replaced my position with a female. Yeah. But instead of calling her the worship pastor, you called her the worship leader. Yeah. But she was required to do everything that I currently do. Mm-hmm. She's fulfilling the exact same role, doing the exact same thing. And in my argument, still leading men in worship and in teaching of the gospel through worship. Um, But like I've said with you, my belief and interpretation of that scripture is that that falls under the umbrella of the lead pastor. And so it's not leading the church. Right. And I think think that that, if that was the issue we were dealing with, with, Rick Warren, right? I'm not that talking about that. Different. Yeah, I'm but, just talking about in the, linguistics, right? But but as far as the language goes and the Baptist faith and message goes, I don't believe what they are doing is accomplishing exactly what they want it to accomplish, which is right. where, where I think more discussion needs to take place because I fully agree that the office of pastor as outlined in the New Testament is an office for men. Yeah. What, I, what I'm saying is that I believe that that office is not the... What, what that office is is not what the positions are today in a lot of cases where they are called directors or ministry leaders to avoid being called a pastor because we have elevated all of those positions to pastoral positions and they do serve it as a pastoral function. Right. But that's not the position that Paul was describing when he outlined the, <clears throat> the uh, qualifications of right, he was talking the about pastor, the lead pastor. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So three different responses. And, and I was just thinking about all of my, uh, my nineties music growing up. And so this, this kind of goes back to the nineties. So shout out to the, the nineties kids. Um, but three responses to Rick Warren and the departure of Saddleback from the SBC. Here's the first one. You ready, Cam? Oh boy. So first one just says, 
He's out the door. See you later. I think you mentioned this with some of the responses that you've seen. No love loss. Don't care. Being hateful. Not even not even trying to see uh, see any restoration take place um, because they're happy he's gone. Right. Agree. Yep. Yep. All right. So here's the second one. Kind of going back to the the same time frame and actually by the same group, interestingly enough. By the way, you know who that was, Cam? You know who that group was? Yes. Who was it? It was NSYNC. It was NSYNC. So here's, here's another response to everything going on with Rick Warren. You know what the song is I'm about to play? You have any idea? I don't know. All right, here we go. Well, I say, Paul's on me. Hold on a second here. All right, here he comes. You ready? So there's some that recognize the great amount of uh, growth that has taken place as a result of Rick Warren, the purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church, it's the, the influence that Saddleback has had on the Southern Baptist Convention, and they're willing to even go to the point to where either they compromise what they believe or at least accept that this is not a first-tier issue because of the the positive impact he's had on the Southern Baptist Convention. Have you seen any of that in the no. responses? You haven't seen anybody speaking positively about Rick Warren or Saddleback? Oh, I've seen a bunch of people speaking positive. Just, but not like but, saying that they yeah. want him back in or that they're... Oh, they were just in disagreement that they should have been voted out. They were just disagreeing about the outcome. Oh, okay. And then here's the... Uh, I, I think this is... I think this is really probably the more the more accurate song um, right here. You ready? Mm-hmm. Tears have reached the sea. Part of you will live in me. Way down deep inside my heart. The days keep coming without fail. find yourself that's where your journey starts you 
Why are you making us listen to this so long? <laughs> Did you get lost for a second? All right, Cam, enough of that. You know who that was? Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw, yeah. Like I'm not a musician. <laughs> I actually, I, I did catch a sound, sound bite of the, uh, of, of the convention that I wanted to share with everybody. It was weird, but it was, <laughs> this is the theme song of the convention this year. It was strange. This is a man's world. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Uh, stop being a hater. No, but all three of those songs. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. You showing seeds of discord on our podcast. <laughs> no, Who's that? But, but all three of those. Who's that? I have no idea. You don't know who sings that no, song? I don't know. Oh, James Brown. Never heard of him. I'm kidding. <laughs> all right. So all three of those songs are breakup songs, right? Yeah. But that's really what this is. It's a Bad breakup. I mean, Saddleback has a long history with the Southern Baptist Convention. And and really, like, I don't agree with, with his heart and his attitude and how he presented what Saddleback has done for the convention in last year's meeting. I, I do think there was a lot of, um, whether he intended it this way or not, there was a lot of arrogance and pride in his speech. But it doesn't change the fact that a lot of what he said was true. Some of it, I think, was exaggerated, but a lot of it was true. Saddleback has had a tremendous impact on the Southern Baptist Convention and has been a ministry that has reached a lot of people with the gospel. I mean, lost souls have been saved as a result of Saddleback, Rick Warren, in his ministry. And and that's one of the things I appreciated about what Al Moeller said, whether you agree with everything he said or not. Um, I don't know if you heard this, but he said that. Like he said, we do want to celebrate all that God's done through Saddleback and rejoice in how God used that great ministry. And we don't have anything personally against Rick Warren or Saddleback. It's just that their beliefs no longer line up with our beliefs as the Southern Baptist Convention. And so, um, you know, I think that we will uh, continue to, to see the impact that, that this has on the Southern Baptist Convention. I know there's a lot of opinions out there. But before we wrap up today, I want to talk about, like, how we respond not just in this situation. I mean, this is obviously the most uh, the the most timely uh, situation in, in terms of what's going on with the Southern Baptist Convention. But just in general, how we should and how we shouldn't respond when people are wrong, in error, uh, don't agree with us, don't see things the way that we see them, have different perspectives, different interpretations all of those things. Because the reality is, even if we know that they are absolutely wrong, like we can be dogmatic, they're wrong, 
they don't line up with the Word of God. They're, what they're doing is sinful. And, and we have the full authority and backing of God's Word. It still doesn't justify us being jerks about it. Yeah. Like, we should be able to stand firm with boldness without being jerks. And I, and I think that is what I am... I think that's what I'm most encouraged about this meeting versus last meeting, is that there just wasn't much of people being jerks to one another. Yeah. Like, even when there was strong disagreement and and passion like you heard in those two clips you heard the passion in Rick Warren's voice and you heard the passion in Al Moeller's voice yeah um and even though I don't agree with how Rick Warren and I hate to use the word attack cuz that's kind of strong language but but how he really pointed out issues with Moeller personally, because I felt like that was more of a political style debate than, you know, sticking to scripture and, and why you believe the way you believe. I, neither one of them were jerks to each other. Like they still, you know, even though they talked with passion, they, they still weren't hateful to one another. And that's the way it should be in the church at all times. You deep in thought over there. What are you thinking? Well, no, I agree. I mean, obviously, we want to we we want to have grace and we want to have, be love. I mean, Scripture tells us that if we speak with eloquence and we do all of these things, but we don't have love, then we're nothing. You yeah. know, we're bankrupt. And so, um, you know, we have to operate in that manner still, even if we disagree. But I was just thinking about this whole thing and. And and we can talk about it a podcast for another day if we want to really get into the weeds of it. But all this has kind of stirred my thoughts a little bit. Mm-hmm. Are the salvations that happen at that church that the woman is the lead pastor of, are they illegitimate? Absolutely not. So why does it matter? What do you mean? If... The salvations that occur through the teaching and preaching and worshiping and all of that in God's Word, if they're not illegitimate, then why are we so concerned about it? Because you can't, you can't excuse sin on the basis of positive things coming as a result of it. So, in well, other words... That, well, but what I'm saying, like, though they're not going to lose their salvation over her being a woman nope. pastor. Like nope. she's, she's still saved, you yep. know, mm-hmm. and, and still doing great things for the kingdom. Sure. And I would assume so. I mean, I don't yeah, know. I what, mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know just, what her church is like. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not even necessarily using them as a specific example, right. but just in those cases, I'm just, it's just one of those things that makes me, me think, think and wonder, yeah, like God's glory and God's power and divinity can use any of that, even if it's messed up. Mm -hmm. And so 
we want to do our due diligence and make sure that we're trying to get as much right as possible. Sure. Sure. But like, hypothetically, mm-hmm. what if people go to those places because it is a woman mm-hmm. and they hear the gospel and their lives are saved, but they would not have gone to that place if it was a man? Also, knowing it gets real cloudy, it gets real weird, because knowing that God wrote that scripture, you know, and, and, and gave that word to be written, knowing that this was going to happen, knowing that people were still going to go to this church, still have salvation, like, you But know, to me, that's not complicated. It's, it's not complicated at all. It's the concept that what Satan meant for evil, God used for good. And it's the same, but what? But, but, but it's my, the it's the but same what's as evil about that. That's what I'm wondering. Well, it's against God's plan and God's design. It, it goes against God's word. It's the same as a. All right, so look at it like this. It's the same as a false teacher. Let's take health, wealth, and prosperity because that's probably the clearest example of false teaching. That, that we have in today's day and age, this false promise of a, a gospel that is designed to provide health, wealth, and prosperity versus a true gospel that calls men and women to repent of their sins, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and live their lives for the gospel and to advance the kingdom. But yet, knowing that there are people that even though they are motivated to trust in Christ through a false gospel that is not in line with Scripture, they give their lives to Christ and realize that they have believed a gospel that is not the true gospel but yet they have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we're not saying that this isn't a true gospel. I know, but what I'm saying is it it doesn't have to be a false gospel for them to be a false teacher. They could be... My question is, and I know this is public, so that's that's why it's easier to identify, but how many... Southern Baptist pastors and mm-hmm. staff members do things on a daily basis that go directly against God's word. I'd bet most. Yeah, sure. On a daily basis. So it's the same it's in the same breath. It's in well, the same it, but it's it's one of many it's one of many qualifiers though. Like if if the if the pastor is an alcoholic then he shouldn't be pastoring the church. If he's filled with greed, he shouldn't be pastoring the church. But that's my, I guess that's it, where it comes down to it is like, we don't police those things well. Well, so why are we so we, we adamant do We about, do in the sense of like, that is also part of our statement of faith. Like that they yeah, can't be those things. But that's what I'm saying. But, but that's just a piece of paper that anybody can sign. Like, you know. Yeah, I would say that if there's a... I mean, it, it's not just... But I'm, but I'm saying, like, you could be like, yep, and then drink every night and people not know. Until they are known, and then they could be disfellowshipped. And but I'm they're not, not going to be. Uh, there was another church that was disfellowshipped because of their... Um, basically ignoring the fact that they had someone 
that that had a past of um, sexual abuse and or recent um, proven allegations of sexual sin. Yeah. And they refused to correct it, and so they were disfellowshipped. Yeah. So it's not just this issue. Right, but I'm saying, but that's one out of... There was over 13,000 messengers there. Mm -hmm. So you've got thousands of churches represented, Mm -hmm. or over a thousand churches represented. And you've got one. Yeah. Like, no question. Statistics just don't, like, there's just no way that that is the only church out of that many churches that are dealing with the same issue and of similar issues that may not ever be brought to the light or will be years from, you know, like that kind of thing. So that's that's my biggest, like, my two biggest things about this whole thing is part of it is just the name, and then the second half of it is part of it I think we get caught up on, like, the things that don't illegitimize, like, illegitimize the salvations that are occurring through those people or through their missions, or through their ministries. And um, when there are other things that would be even playing field, um, you know, that that just wouldn't be as public, but they also don't illegitimize, illegitimize other salvations that are happening through men that are, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's... It's one of those things where, like, and we've had this conversation. I know we've gone super long today. We, we've had this conversation in the past about, like, um, like following biblical principles for even things like savings, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think it could be argued that pretty much every, not every, because I don't know the financial standing of every pastor, but majority of pastors and people that serve in the Southern Baptist Convention, especially the people that are serving in the committee roles mm-hmm. and the nom- like all of those big roles, um, they probably done a lot of storing up. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that that is almost just as big of a deal because it goes against God's design and plan and word than the, the pastoral leadership. It all goes against his word. And we don't talk about any of those types of things. And, and that, that's where I begin. Like, we get really big picking and choosing on, on that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that we're wrong in what all we're doing, but I think that there's, like, sometimes it's really easy to get, like, behind this one thing and be like, yes, this is it. Like, we're going to take care of this issue. And... I think that the Saddleback issue was something that did need to be taken care of. So I'm not disagreeing with that. But, like, there's also so many other things that we could be looking at to be making ourselves better and closer to Jesus and more like Jesus. And they're all things that are going to make us better and not illegitimize salvations for people in the thick of it and in, while it's all happening. So the hardest part for me on that is... It's just really hard to slam people or put them down if people are coming to know Christ through what they're doing. I, I, it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to go against God's word. 
but when we you but when that's the argument that we use it for I, I wonder why we don't look at the other things that are potentially also going against God's word as detailed you know yeah i mean if and it could be that you put uh someone in that position that's qualified and whatever the amount of salvations that they've seen double because God is going to bless being faithful to yeah. his word and his design. Uh, same thing with, you know, any other sins. Like you, you look at the amount of pastors that have had moral oh, yeah. failures. It doesn't, it doesn't make take their, their, their the, ministries. The decisions yeah. that have been made in their ministry. It doesn't invalidate them. Right. God still used them in spite of that. Yeah. But it doesn't make it right. Yeah. You, I mean, you still can't, you can't just turn a blind eye and say, well, people are being saved. And so we're just going to let them keep sleeping around with all the women in their church. Yeah. No. Right. No, you can't because God's word is clear that that's, that's not right. Yeah. And I could say, well, you know, they had multiple wives in the Old Testament, and so, you know, I think it's okay, and uh, the Lord's blessing my ministry, so obviously He doesn't have an issue with it. Yeah. yeah. The problem is, the Bible says you've got to be the husband of one wife, and yeah. so you can you can say, I don't like it, and you don't have to like it, but you can't say that it doesn't say it, because it does. Yeah. And and that's the issue, yeah. is that it clearly says that. Um, the other, more gray, and I don't know that we're ever going to get it completely right. Uh, it's a process. But I do think that we're having some fruitful discussions about it, and, and we're trying to draw a line that needs to be drawn without muddying the waters yeah. and, and making it more complicated than what it needs to be. So, all right. Well, good discussion. Long discussion. Longest podcast but, uh, ever. Good discussion. And so uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with yeah, episode we were just giving 84. you some extra food to chew on. That's right. We're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so use this time in the summer to chew on that, to really reflect <laughs> on what's going on in the Southern just Baptist Just graze convention. on it for a little bit. <laughs> you know, just kind of, you know, chew on it, think yeah. about it. Don't tweet on it. Yeah, don't. You You're just going to get attacked. <laughs> yeah, all that to say, I mean, uh, I'm glad I, I'm I'm glad that the Southern Baptist Convention didn't implode. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I think that there's obviously things that we're doing really well as a convention, and there's things that we're not doing well, um, but that's with any organization and yeah. things that... Um, especially for someone who's not super informed, would hope to see better. Yeah. But um, but overall, I mean, thankful that it wasn't what we thought it could have been. Yeah. And, you know, thankful that we get to <laughs> serve together uh, unified. And the Lord's still on his throne. Played a lot of NSYNC today. So. And uh, he's called us to love him with all our heart and to love one another. That's right. So we just need to keep doing that Yeah. and working through our differences and 
different uh, interpretations of Scripture in, in love and with grace and uh, continue to do what God's called us to do as a church and reach as many people as we can with the gospel Yeah, and do it according to His Word. I mean, we're at an hour and eight minutes, so <laughs> we might as well just round it out to 110. Uh, so... What are you excited about for this summer? You got a minute and a half. <laughs> minute and a half. Go. Quick. Wow. Excited for this summer. Well, Clock is ticking. Uh, man, I'm excited for things to slow down a little bit. We got our <laughs> retreat coming yeah, in a couple of weeks. Luck. And then uh, we're going to have a couple of vacations. And I'm just going to slow down and relax. I got another one coming up, kind of like the one we had for spring break, where we're just going to do absolutely Nothing yeah. for a full week. That's great. Nothing. I mean, we're still going to like eat and nope. watch TV and sleep and stuff like that, but no theme parks, no events, no restaurants, just hanging out as a family. That's good and be good. It's going to be good. Uh, you also got like just like f- currently like 450 kids registered for. Oh, yeah. VBS. Excited about that. That's next week. Yep. And it's beginning to look a lot like VBS. Yeah. Everywhere (laughs) you go. Yeah. Walking in a VBS wonderland. Even around town. Other churches, it's like everywhere you go. Yeah. So um, just a few more seconds here. So (laughs) just as long as you don't have those 450 kids show up on your vacation, you'll be doing all right. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, we'll get through VBS and uh, we'll we'll get to a little bit of time off. All right, this is it. That's it. Episode eighty three. We'll see you next time on episode eighty four. See you. <laughs>